A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello and welcome to the Forbidden Door Review. I'm Adam Wilborn from What Culture, joined by the Daddy Boys of What Culture, Michael Hanflot and Michael Sidgwick, here to review everything that happened at this weekend's Forbidden Door Pay Per View. But before we get into it, if you're a fan of this sort of thing, make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, wherever you get your podcasts from, for daily wrestling podcasts where we review Raw, SmackDown, the show formerly known as NXT 2. But Oh, AW Dynamite, AW Collision, pay-per-views, premium live events. We have interviews, roundtable discussions, and a round of the week complete. A quiz, of course, on wrestle culture. As I said, though, joined by Michael Hamlet and Michael Sidgwick to review Forbidden Door from the weekend. And Michael Sidgwick, was this the best pay-per-view ever? No. It was <laughs> superb. Yes. At times, it felt like I was watching the best pay-per-view ever. It was flawed in... Planning to a degree and in execution at others, but I had an absolutely fantastic time watching yeah. this. I literally cannot wait until next year's because they've set the bar of what the dream matches should look like. So the first year was a total vibes show, mm-hmm. a total over delivery of a vibe show. It was a bit cursed the first year, yeah, but then it just sort of overcame everything on the night. Fantastic show, loved the first year. This is always going to be different because the novelty had worn off. Mm-hmm. And in fact, we've seen a lot of AEW, AEW versus New Japan matches in general since then, like Jericho, Ishii, yeah. um, Omega Osprey at Wrestle Kingdom. It yeah. was never going to recapture that initial thing. So this time they went for quality, the actual dream matches. And it worked to a very, very large extent, not to the maximum extent, but I'm already hyped. They know what works, what doesn't, what to go with. They know they can't go back to the first year's model next year. Had a great time watching this show. I would have done a few things differently. But Mm. we'll get to that. Yeah, we'll run through it. Uh, Hamlet, you and I did the live stream for it. I have to say this. I often, you know, I'm guilty of being like, oh, bloody hell, this four-hour, five-hour, if you include the the pre-show things, dragged on a bit. I thought this show flew by. Yeah. um, It's weird, right, because I did think... In hindsight, pacing was a bit of an issue, but then I didn't necessarily feel that during the show. Mm. I watched almost all of it twice, save for a couple of matches that I just didn't feel needed it. But I'm sitting here now with relief because I was nervous about doing this podcast. I was nervous of doing our What Went Down because the instant reaction from our live chat and then a quick, like a cursory glance yeah. at multiple, like our timelines on Twitter, but then just like the, the dreaded For You tab um, was that this was the best show ever. This was the best show ever, and here's like seven reasons why it's the best show ever. And I never really once felt it, truthfully. I had a good time. Mm. Um, but like as we'll get into, there was very little here that honestly just had me, truthfully, like as hyped as 
the build-up made me believe I was going to be. Did it I, suffer because we were hyping it up so much? You know, you got a couple of dream matches <sighs> on there. You know, we were saying ourselves, this this could be a you know WrestleMania X Seven or level that, that's show. That's been bet at least five times. It wasn't on us. It wasn't on us. I know it, it's easy shorthand, Will Bourne. Yeah, it was on like it was Tony Khan said it. He believed it, and mm. I don't think that was his. Like I know he gets a lot of criticism earned for like the way he like beefs up some stuff on Twitter. He was saying it because he believed it and he felt he'd assembled a minimum of sort of maybe three or four matches that could have created the card that he was pitching. I don't, I don't know. I. There was one match that like, I know me and Sidgwick are going to disagree on massively that I liked a lot less the second time around. Um, but ultimately, I just I think over the last couple of days, it does feel like people have leveled off a little bit or been able to see some of the flaws, perhaps, because I think last year's Forbidden Door surpassed this mm. comfortably, personally. I think Revolution this year surpassed it. Uh, I think WrestleMania Night 1 probably surpassed it how I felt about it ultimately as a show. Um, but I love that it happened. It was a good show with a bunch of good matches, yeah. and I still like the energy around the idea of it. We're two years in now, and AEW's done loads of crossover with New Japan. Like, it's lovely to think that this is the one night a year, like WWE would say with Survivor Series, but it's not, is it? We get little crossovers all the time. I still love that this is a thing, but the vibes from last year didn't feel like they were there for me this year. Some sensational matches on this card, though, and we will, at the end... Get the thoughts of both of you on what you thought was match of the night, although it might give it away when we go through your reviews yeah. of each match. <laughs> uh, but let's start at the beginning of the uh, main card. MJF versus Hiroshi Tanahashi for the AW World title. Sige, we knew going into this, as with the Sonata match a little bit later on, no titles are changing hands. And I think, I think it's fair to say, as much as, you know, we're all fans of, of Maxwell Jacob Freeman, and I believe, actually, as I say that, I believe he's, uh, he's a fan of ours as well. I think he... Um, he once said something uh, along the lines of... One of the only professional wrestling podcasts that's actually worth a f But, a bit of trepidation going into this, whether or not they're going to be able to pull something off here. Yes, absolutely. To make a broader point before we delve into this match, which I thought was an over-delivery, and we'll get yeah. into that imminently. Um, so this is what I was talking about, whether there are certain flaws with maybe the Forbidden Door concept overall... And indeed, um, the way this was applied on the night. The title matches, for me, don't need to happen. No. I don't think there's... AEW has a problem, born from a luxury and a good thing, but a problem with, at least in the build-up to certain shows, not in the matches themselves, but they like to book lengthy world title reigns. I know why they do this. I think it's better to do it this way mm -hmm. than not, i.e. they want to create the prestige. They want to build and build and build and make it feel like a real event when a title changes hands. They have enough of a problem with this approach convincing people that titles are going to change hands like early into a reign or on certain pay-per-views. The idea of a AEW or IWGP world title crossing promotions is just, I think it's too much for people to believe. Mm -hmm. And to their credit, they recognized this. Last year, everyone went with Tanahashi Mox because it was a really great match. People were just hyped that they were getting it. This was always going to struggle as a selling point of the pay-per-view the second year around. It just doesn't seem vaguely feasible that it's going to happen. Mm. So these matches suffer from a lack of interest compared to the other ones going in. And... I just don't think they were necessarily a selling point. 
And the biggest admission of that was the way that these matches were promoted on TV is underneath the main two, three matches. So I think that needs to be addressed mm -hmm. um, in like next year's edition. But that's one flaw for me on this show. There's two big matches, singles matches, and people are really wanting, I think, more singles action on these shows. The hype for the two dream matches indicates this. So to not... They didn't waste two singles matches here, but at the same time, no one believes the titles are going to change hands here. Would you, is there a chance you uh, could think that a different result could happen in, let's say, Sonata versus Jack no. Perry, for example, if the title wasn't on the line? And didn't like an eliminator. They'd have to go, no, because Book and Principle says that you have to then do the match at some yeah, point anyway. Yeah. Look, MGF recognized this and built it around not so much the title, but the idea that he is the one person with an AEW circles, talent roster, fandom, management, that just doesn't like this New Japan thing. Yeah, there was a there was a video package hyping this up I saw on, uh, on AEW yeah. socials with a great question to set it all up. Oh, yeah, absolutely, there was. So I fundamentally loved the idea of this match and the fact that it wasn't a title match. Um, and I think the drama was... Let's see Tanahashi just give him, wipe the smirk off his face, rather than let's see Tanahashi win that title, which literally nobody believed yeah. in. Um, this is going to be bad analysis. So I think I've got some more insight later on. But the consensus take for this opener was better than, better than it had any right to be. Yes. Didn't MJF do an absolutely stellar, intelligent job with Tanahashi, particularly at this version of that wrestler? Yes. And it was as good as it could have been. I think I've seen that take littered everywhere, and it's the only one I can really add in general to my thoughts. Um, to go deeper into it a little bit, I like how with a crowd hyped for the show, going on first, uh, MJF's great at the little things to begin with, but he just knew every single trick. And what I loved about that is that his strategy to mapping this match out worked twofold. I might even call it deft. Oh. In that one, he worked around the limitations of Tanahashi by doing the really tried and true heel basics, like the rope thing for the abdominal stretch, mm -hmm. taking a powder outside of the ring. So what he does there is he works a match around Tanahashi's limitations. That's the reality of it, because you have to do that, or, you're, or at least you should do mm. that with the Hiroshi Tanahashi in 2023. But by doing that strategy in the story, he's kind of showing his arse a bit as the heel character of, if I don't cheat and take every shortcut, like I know he's a bit finished, but you know if he could get the advantage on me, I have to just basically cheat my way out of it. So it was a really cleverly arranged match. Um, the idea being that if I give him literally an inch doesn't matter how broken he is. He's so fiercely intelligent that he could get me. And he did get him with the dragon screw leg whip, mm. which informed a nice little bit of drama at the finish. What I really liked about this match is that no one thought Tanahashi was going to win. I don't think even Tanahashi can get them to believe that he can win. But there's still that desire, that want that Tanahashi can generate from the fans. And he's so good that he was one of the most sympathetic, great baby faces ever. Sometimes he could play heel situationally in accordance with like the fluid, puro psychology. But like, as a baby face, when he turned it on, is anybody better historically than Tanahashi? Maybe Kabashi? He doesn't do 
these ploys for sympathy anymore when he's selling and selling and selling. At this point, he's like almost pitiable. And when he was like roaring in defiance, you saw an old man. Yeah. You didn't see a guy who was getting his ass kicked and was like relying upon his fighting spirit. He looked like an old man just yelling that he just could still do this and you should believe him. And I don't know how pity works, but that's Tanner. He's just still got some of that magic. Sorry, Hamlet, you can talk imminently. <laughs> a general note on Tanahashi. I wonder if his knees are so far gone that this is literally the end. Or if they could tell a great story and just convince him. And this is a lot of it is him wants to do these jobs, wants to do this work. They could just say, please have a year off. Like, we could tell a pretty good story here, or a fantastic one, if you can actually recover physically, mm. if the decline isn't irreversible. Imagine Tanahashi taking a year off, maybe even two years and doing a G1, but like repaired, like with various treatments that modern medicine can afford. That would be great. Putting him on collision 24 hours removed from the pay-per-view, not great. A really weird choice, not least because it did damage to this match because he looked ropey in that one. I love Tanahashi, but like this is we've entered a different league of this wrestler's done because last year he, he was so good in the Moxley match. Yeah, the Moxley match and like other stuff I'd seen of him was disguising exactly where he was at physically, and there's just no disguising it. I remember feeling a little bit sad over WrestleMania weekend and the Ring of Honor match, and then this was an, like the swerve match with another level, and that worked against this. But I will say to MJF's just immense credit as a professional, I felt like I watched him slow his step by half a second, but that makes all the difference because it doesn't make Tanahashi look as slow by comparison. No more so than he should do. You know, there's supposed to be a age gap and a fitness gap between the two. But I mean, I don't mean in a kayfabe sense, I mean in a real sense, MJF slowed his step by just half a second to make Tanahashi not look quite as far behind him when it came to moving around the ring, because it's an easy thing. Every step Tanahashi takes is like, oh, mate. Like, it's not just a high-fly flow and him creaking as he stretches up on the top rope. It's, it's everything. Mm -hmm. It's him walking down to the ring, and uh, it just, he took away, like, he took away that feeling of sadness that, truthfully, I got in the swerve match. So a little bit sad. Oh, I was very sad watching And that. there was none of that here. And I think that's a real credit to MJF. And the Tanahashi knees up for the high fly flow spot would be, um, we, we lean on sort of a football analogies here. But when you're playing a team far superior to you in the FA Cup, a cup game, so not a team you would regularly play in the league, and you've gone 1-0 down in a game you know you're going to lose. Mm. And there's a chance of an equaliser, but then they get the second. And you kind of don't, you're not devastated. You just sort of go like, oh, that was what the fans did when MJF got the knees up. They didn't really think Tanahashi was going to win, but they're like, there might be something. Oh, he's got him. And uh, that's enough. I honestly think that was enough of an emotional response. And MJF selflessly cheating to beat him as well. He could have tapped him. Tanahashi's an old man. MJF beating, cruelly beating the old man. Like He could have done it like that. And he just he cheated and cheated and cheated. And I appreciated that. Like, I believed his cowardice and his shortcuts yeah. as well. It didn't mm -hmm. feel like this is the way I have to work Tanahashi or I'm the heel, this is what I have to do. They effectively built that match around the idea that if you could just get your trailing leg, like you can do something still. Yeah, it's doubly impressive because it kind of went, it goes against our usual thing of like put the other guy over before you beat them, right down to, uh, as the bell rang and MJF's doing the like the walk with the guitar. At no point is he showing Tanashi in like a lick of respect, and yet he's forced to yeah. by the end. And I think that was like that was really nicely done because it didn't betray. He had ass, not ace. 
on his elbow pad. I didn't like, see that. Yeah, that was what happened. Like, I wanted to pick up later on. And you just think that's typically this sort of stuff. Even MJF slyly puts people over, and he didn't with Tanashi until the match itself. Yeah. And he was forced into respecting him by the end. Uh, from one legend to another, CM Punk uh, in action against Satoshi Mega. Kojima in the uh, first round of the Owen Hart Cup. Um, this was a, a really enjoyable match, but also you've got to factor in Canadian fans into this one as well. You do, but CM Punk massaged that response, yeah. built it, manipulated them. Like I've seen a certain review of this show say, oh, it's all about the crowd response. It's like, he, he generated it. <laughs> he manipulated it. He toyed with them. He made it bigger. I thought this was absolutely class. I, I loved this match. I thought it was great. Like, genuinely capital G, great. CM Punk, just as it started to threaten to become the CM Punk show, when he was doing Lariat and Kojima <laughs> and Lariat and Kojima... And then he was like doing the muscle thing, and then he was taking titty pop, the titty pop. And then he, <laughs> the titty, sorry, the titty pop was a response because his face when Kojima did it. What pal? And it's like <laughs> I'm, I'm doing a titty pop. They're like so petulant. Yeah, like uh, there's not a better pissy wrestler on the planet than CM Punk. But just as I said, like when it was threatening to become the CM Punk show, and all about him, and the match felt incidental at various points when he was doing the titty pop when he was looking around and just luxuriating in this bath of a heel reaction. And then he was taking ages on the top rope before doing the elbow drop as if to say, you hate me? Really? <laughs> How great I am. I'm going to show you. Check out my sweet elbow drop. Yeah. <laughs> Check out my Hogan leg drop. <laughs> just when it was thought, is he taking the piss and just making it the CM Punk show? He, like... The second that thought creeps into your brain, you start stooging mm. and being this mm. absolutely incredible heel and just doing these like almost slapstick bumps of, oh my God, this really powerful old man has got my number. I'm going to throw myself backwards over a barricade because <laughs> his chops are so powerful. Like, I just thought this was a great fight. There are very few wrestlers who can still... It's ridiculous because I've just mentioned that he threw himself over a barricade at a shop. That's not what happens in a fight. <laughs> you just don't do that. That's not what a chop does. So it's ridiculous citing that example of one of the spots they did is, oh, that was like a fight. But it just feels like a fight when CM Punk's in there. He's just absolutely class. Um, it never felt generic, even though it was like a simple joy. I just loved his little, just the balance of this performance mm. was so good. How he was a complete dick. Very narcissistic, kind of all about him, doing deep-cut ROH shoot interviews from, like, <laughs> 2004 or whenever it was. And then he'll just shield his chest in sort of fear of it getting chopped again <laughs> by trying to go to another corner. What a great... He's, like, a different kind of heel in the ring than what I've seen from him in years. Mm. Like, a little baby yeah. at times. Oh, he was absolutely tremendous on such great form here. Did you see when he started doing the Tenzan... Mongolian chops, chops. The noise he made for one of the ones yeah. later on. <laughs> <laughs> he, was, he was a cock. He was a total cock. They used the anaconda vice for that as well. Oh mm. god! Wow. Yeah. Like, uh, and the uh, well done, well done, Phil. You've got your win. Go and celebrate. Oh, you're doing press ups, and then you've oh. gone, and then you've gone. Which which tunnel is it? <laughs> 
Amazing. Am I the bad guy? Like, this is the bounce. <laughs> Sorry, ba- that's the wrong way. The bouncing press-ups, that was it, yeah, wasn't it? He was going to each side like, yeah, I'm alive again because so CM Punk's wrestling career for a bit. Like, <laughs> like, just, it's funny. Before so you go on, what was his gear law? Oh, my God. So, well, here's what I read into it. So it's the fight shots kick ass, right? We've agreed. That's his look. That's his We've look. agreed this is AEW look, right? Because the long boys are obviously these divisive things. And you can play with the colours a bit more. But the trunks... His frame looks weird in the long boy. It yes. does. The trunks, like however, man. are obviously... He switched to trunks in Ring of Honor because he was starting to get himself WWE ready. Like, And then, obviously, they were throughout his entire WWE run. The shorts have only ever existed in AEW, and not just that, in that legendary King. The short ones, we should say. Yeah, the yeah, long the, ones were his ROH. Yeah, yeah. Like that's, uh, that's another punk, you know? These feel like his proper big night AEW like, shorts yeah. because of that. The black and gold... I took to mean because obviously normally it would be the stars of the Chicago flag on the Kingston ones. They were just obviously just black because he's heel now and he's the man in black. But there was uh, a total of there was four on one side and two on the other side. There was six stars. I mean, wrestling's better when Sam Punk's in it by orders yeah. of magnitude. Like the bit where he um, was teasing the girl to sleep and he just faced every side of the ring and then <laughs> and then Kojima escaped out of it because Punk was taking the piss and he was made to suffer for it. Like he's a maestro. He was great on Collision the night before as well. Like, not to make this a Collision review, the eight-man was vastly superior to the six-man, and Punk was excellent in it again. People are, Like, there's evidence that people are already getting over in his presence, but, like, Kojima wasn't just... I don't want to say it wasn't just, because, like, you know when John Moxley was fighting the New Japan Dads? <laughs> they were all really fun, and they were all individual matches that were rooted around the battle that John Moxley had to fight that night. It wasn't just, I just beat up all, like, New Japan guys. But this was, like... On that level, that's the biggest compliment I can pay CM Punk. Mm. He made Kojima a very unique threat. And this match had, uh, like, its own identity. And I don't know if every wrestler on this card was able to carve that out when there was such big matches. Mm. You've got the 10-man, you've got the dream matches. And I think it was a very hard card to make something uniquely yours and Punk and, and Kojima, but Punk especially, because it was his match to lead and it was his crowd to have to kind of like moderate and bring up and let down and all that kind of thing. I just, I cannot get enough of this. I'm so, so excited that he's back. And I think this character is already amazing. Like, I think he's nailing the subtleties. I know Sidgwick will never agree with me that things are more fine with the elite, but I still think in every single match he's building those matches, like the heel turns felt right to me from the first moment he came out. I love this man, and like we're getting we're getting Punk Joe for the match, or we're getting the prospect of CM Punk being folded over Roderick Strong's knee in the semi final of the Owen. We're getting like, the Joe match. We're getting the Joe match. <laughs> One thing I will say is uh, short arm clothes. Like this is the beauty of Phil Brooks, and the bad part of it is that he will never get told that he can't do something. That's what's driven him to become yeah. this incredibly compelling, polarizing, whatever guy. So it's almost a feature, not a bug, when some of his work looks actually terrible. <laughs> like that flying elbow drop. He probably knows it doesn't look great, but he does it anyway because he's the punker. That short arm lariat. Terrible. Yeah. <laughs> doesn't look powerful enough to do it. <laughs> he wasn't even, he was counting to 10 in Japanese and wasn't even looking at Kojima's face. Yeah. He was looking at the Canadian screaming like one to 10 in Japanese while punching. Yeah. That's, that's a li- like, I wish I had a different phrase. That's elite tier dick move stuff in it. Like, the, oh, it, was, it was brilliant. Uh, like, I kind of wait for what he's doing on Collision, which is a good job because the rest of that show is already feeling mid. Yes. <laughs> so thank God the punk is on it. 
Uh, let's move on. Uh, I said we're not going to try try not to give away what we think our match of the night is, but I think going into it, it was always going to be initially assumed it was going to be a coin flip between the uh, Okada uh, Danielson match and of course Omega Osprey. Uh, we got a late entry in terms of this four way though for the international championship. Orange Cassidy, of course, defending against Zack Saber Jr., Katsuyori Shibata, and Daniel Garcia. I did the I did the new Garcia dance. He's abandoned there. the face covering one, isn't he? He's all about the fists one now. Yeah, he does both then. Does he do both? He's I don't He's got more <laughs> one move. But yeah, uh, sleeper hit. Is that the best way of putting this? This is class. Yeah, there was there was literal sleeper hits when they were having a slap fight when uh, Zack Saber Jr. and Shibata refused to stop fighting each other while in sleepers. Yes, <laughs> that was a great spot. The idea of Garcia just being like the one who doesn't belong. You're not on our level yet, lad. Let's slap you before you even try and get involved in this duel, which is great, very funny. And then it allowed him to creep back into the match later mm. um, opportunistically because everyone, including audience and the wrestlers involved, had taken their um, eye off him. I will sometimes come across... I know this is a Tony Khan simp. I will say he's an absolutely incredible booker. He has these foibles. Everyone has a disaster in them in every single vocation ever. And he is not immune to that. Like, the guy is so clever, and he's a cut above everybody else. And that the reason why I adore AEW so much is that he wrong-foots me. He wrong-foots everyone. Everyone, I think, thought, oh, that's a bit weird. A four-way with all these. That's a weird match. Can we not just do ZSJ versus Orange? He's like the cliched mad scientist. Because what he's done here is he's put together four wrestlers who either predominantly do a certain style, or in the case of Cassidy, can do this style. Proper technical strike-based, grappling-based wrestlers. And you put them in a genre that you think, oh, that doesn't work. Surely in a fatal four-way is more like big match melodrama or high-flying yeah. to, to, to do the saves. Like, for an example, if you do like a high-flying four-way, that works like a 10-minute guaranteed four-star effort because you can have a pin attempt and someone can do a shooting star press to break yeah, it up. Yeah. No one would have thought four technicas working a uh, four-way would work. And then you realized that the saves doubled as, like, win attempts. Like, if you're dragging someone off someone because you think the match could be won there and then and putting them, like, in a sleeper, that's in itself, mm. like, another... Um, near fall, if you like, or yeah. a, pin at, uh, a win attempt. So the idea that someone was going to win pretty much at every single second was just exhilarating to me. I think it might have gone on... I think it might have become contrived had it gone on too long, but it was just so sudden and urgent and all the work looked great. And if it did start to feel like, well, is anything hurting here for very long, and uh, ZSJ and his work with Cassidy's hand, that looked positively gruesome. Yeah. I need that singles match. They're telling me they're going to give me it at some point. And then the, the prospect of Shibata versus Orange 2, colon, this time in a building in which there are no ingrates. <laughs> <laughs> because in the tag setup, um, he ate friendly fire from the Superman, from the Orange Punch. Then in this one, he got just tossed out of the ring. The Coden should do that one next. Yeah. I thought this was so... A wonderful fusion of genre and style. I don't mean this to sound like an insult to any of the four, but this was a little bit of an over-delivery for me. I was really disappointed with the tag match on Wednesday's Dynamite. And like me and Sidge kind of laid into how they set this match up with the, like, I had a tug of war, Wilbur. 
the tug of war for a belt they in AEW. Tug of war. Did you see any of this? No. They had a, so it was the it was Shibata and Orange versus ZSJ and Garcia. Shibata caught a orange punch and got pinned. Seconds after losing a match, he was given an international title match because he, Shibata, ZSJ and Garcia played tug of war with the belt. With the idea being, oh, well, I just got punched in the face accidentally. You lost a match, mate. Yeah. yeah. You cannot be in. They flashed up the graphic of the four-way. Seconds after the finish of the tag. That's fake. Mm. Oh, it was terrible, but this match was great. I uh, yeah, the, yeah. The, the dynamic of a four-way suited them. I loved how, like, the the individual. So the Garcia, it was initially Garcia getting bantered off. Then it was the match felt like it was getting in the way of Zack Sabre Jr. and Shabbat wanted to have a fight. <laughs> I, I love the cons. To be honest, right, I love that so much that I don't think they should have done it with Kingston and Mox because I found myself comparing the two and I preferred the Shabbat and Zack okay. Sabre Jr. one. Like, there was other stuff to the Kingston and Mox one, but yeah. they did the spot where they were fighting while, like, chaos surrounded them and I just thought they'd done a better job of that in the four-way. Shabbat's um, mutual... I love watching his mutual respect with Orange Cassidy play out and then gradually disintegrate when he wants to hit him harder. So I really like that. And then Daniel Garcia forcing his way back through and Zack Sabre Jr. realising that he does have to take Cassidy seriously and injure him because the closest anybody's got to taking that title is by furthering all of Orange Cassidy's injuries. Really elegantly arranged and delivered four-way match. Yeah. They didn't, just didn't betray any of them. That's the other problem with four-ways and like WWE multi-man matches. So often they exist to protect somebody or hide something that wrestlers become stupid or they don't play their characters or they sit and rest on the outside when typically as characters they wouldn't rest yeah. or whatever it yeah. is. Baby faces act like heels because they sneak in, whatever. It's the, the wrestlers play the match rather than playing themselves in the match, and these four didn't do that at all. This felt very real and showed me, yeah, to Sidge's point, showed me a bunch of singles matches I want to watch. That's perfect, isn't it? Like, they've all got titles, mm. and the one without a belt got pinned because he's not a champion. I didn't even spot that. I didn't even consider. And you talked about, on, I think, on What Went Down, about how the fact that he's he's a sports entertainer, but in reality... Yeah, and if he switched that off a little bit and wasn't taking dance breaks, he'd probably have stood fighting chance and that keeps that bigger story about I love Daniel. that arc. Yeah, that keeps arc that going, fantastic. doesn't it? Stop you from dancing, mate, and you'd have probably beaten yeah. one of these guys. And they've all got belts and you haven't because they're wrestlers. is a, a genius, I think. Yeah. He's, I, just, I wrote an article about Garcia and the storyline um, entitled, Why This? It's a pretty what culture title. <laughs> Why This <laughs> is the real best story in wrestling. Um, check it out. Google those search terms. Like, how many times have you seen a new pro wrestler? And it's fine. They're eager to impress. They want a contract. They want to make a living. Just get loads of their stuff in. Garcia is the wrestler who plays to how young he is in this industry, leaving himself so much to do when he finally evolves and matures as a wrestler. He's playing a character now. Remember early when he would lose and hop onto Twitter and say, oh, this was the strategic error I made. Shouldn't have fed him my leg. And yeah, yeah, stuff yeah. like that. Like, he deliberately made mistakes in the context of the match and his character, knowing I'm like, what, 24 years old? I could be doing this at the top level for 15, 16 years mm. before my body even begins to break up. Why would I show everyone everything? Why should I present myself as a finished article? And this thread that he's doing now of this dancing idiot, this immature guy having an identity crisis... It's not everyone in their early 20s. Like, the guy's so <laughs> good. I'm fairly certain you and I threw those shapes in our 20s as well. I would have done something <laughs> like that. I'd been drunk and thought I was amazing, and yeah. everyone else was laughing. That's this Saturday. After morning, <laughs> Straight up. Yeah. I can't wait. 
I'm not going after. I would have to watch a Fed show to completion. <laughs> <laughs> that, I am, that I don't think I'm working. I'll watch the show. I'll watch the show. But in install. Well, rewatch Forbidden Door then come out. I've already rewatched <laughs> <laughs> two matches. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hey Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombus, we've always said our socks, underwear, and t-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Before we go any further, though, this show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Now, we all carry around different stresses. They can be big life worries or just, you know, little things like your favorite wrestler not being used properly. The thing is, when we keep them bottled up, it really can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever is weighing you down. It is really helpful, too, for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. Therapy basically empowers you to be the best version of yourself. So why not give better help a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and best of all, suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash whatculture today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash whatculture. Uh, let's talk about the IWGP World Heavyweight Championship match and the obvious thing to talk about as well is the, the post-match because it was Jungle Boy Jack Perry, I assume we're not going to be using that moniker for much longer, versus Sonada with Hook in, in Jungle Boy's corner. Uh, uh, like I said with the MJF match, obviously no title change was, was happening, but I enjoyed this. I did and I didn't. I was mixed. I'll tell you why. That's why I'm on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't have the aura of a title match. Mm. Inescapable. I liked the story that they told particularly because of where they are both as characters and performers. The idea is that they're aloof. They listen to some, like Jungle, Jungle Boy Jack Perry, you listen to some people's advice if it suits what he's doing, just like cutting promos on TV. And Sonata's very much, I won't emote. I won't really do the things that people tell me to do or whatever. So they, they're both considered like aloof characters pushed beyond their connection with the audience. So pairing them together just felt weird to begin with because it was kind of like an I'm not him off. <laughs> <laughs> and yet they that. based the match around the idea that they care way more than they think and people think. And I just liked how they actually used move theft encounters, these two tropes that you see in every single modern match ever, and built a match around it in a way that 
service their characters. I thought there was some smart wrestling here mm-hmm. and some smart storytelling. The problem is that a lot of the actual application of the moves for me felt soulless. Like the idea behind what they were doing, I thought was good, but in execution, it just felt a bit soulless. There was no real emotion in that crowd. There was no drama. I don't think the if you just wanted a moves match, this wasn't that great on its own terms. But I liked what they tried to do here. I thought it was a flawed, a good idea, flawed execution. Or maybe the other way around, I don't know. Mm. All I know is that there's some some stuff to appreciate that was really thoughtful. The way that they handled this post-match was incredible for me. The attack was the attack. I know Taz defended it on Twitter because someone said, I oh, only hit him once. And he made the point of, he's got whacked in the face and he landed back of his head first mm. on a ramp. That's fine, but when you see other stuff on this particular show, yeah. which wrestlers got up, I can understand both sides of that argument. But it didn't matter for me because I thought the emotion yeah. transcended. It's also the, the shot you don't see coming. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And you know, you've got to take the piss from one match to the next. That's wrestling. That just is yeah. part and parcel of it. They change on these pay-per-views, commentators... Um, every single time, whether it's Shivani replacing Ross or whatever, what an ingenious way to do that. What an ingenious way to put over the gravity and the reality of this angle to have a family member of the father of the person who's just been attacked like be unable to continue his duties because he's seen such a transgression. That is peak AEW for me. Yeah. I could not have loved it more. And yeah, I guess I'll sacrifice a, a, a match if it's a mere backdrop for that. Because what that was, was, again, Tony Khan is incredible at what he does, and I think he deserves way more respect. I love the performance of Taz in particular. Jungle Boy was quite good um, after the turn. Like, there was a couple of, like, he did a, like, a sort of, held, like, a restrained version of his little arms in the air, Baltimore thing, as if he was just, Big like... Big Bill did it better. Of course he did. Big Bill does everything better than Jungle Boy, Jesus Christ. But like he was like throwing it back at them. It's a wank symbol, basically, without, much, without doing with it. With his arms in the air. I it's funny that Sidge uses their post match to put over Tony Khan, because I thought there was something very WWE about the match being like an objective success without being a subjective one. Objectives. Sonata has to retain his IWGP title on this show. It's kind of embarrassing that your top that your top champion isn't featured in anybody's fantasy booking. You need to find the match to facilitate Jungle Boy's heel turn. Both those objectives were achieved. Not a single person has a single thing to say about the match belt the bell. Mm-hmm. Like, add the skull end counter. Like, Sonata finished him with the skull end because he's like. It was a moonsault? No, like, but he always would do that thing, wouldn't he? The skull yeah. end would put them down, the moonsault would finish them off. He finished him off with his skull end because his was better than Jack Perry's. And then Sonata, for that point, actually, Sonata's got a different finish now, hasn't he? Mm-hmm. He won the belt with his new one. He didn't even use that. So he used the old one. So the idea is like, Jungle Boy's that crap that I could beat him with my, what's now my secondary move. There's just nothing to the match, but they had two clear objectives and achieved mm. those. I just that's why I don't think you could feel anything for it. I didn't feel anything for this. Yeah. I thought some oh, oh. <laughs> that's quite clever. Yeah. I didn't feel nothing for it. Entrance way lore as well, of course. I think, oh yeah, I'm not going this way anymore. Um doesn't hit the same without the tunnels. No. No. Um let's move on because Sige, when I think about Forbidden Door 2023 in a few months' time, as we all do with our <laughs> decaying memories and just boil it down to certain matches or certain moments. I think, obviously, not to jump ahead of ourselves, the first thing I'll think of is going to be the one-winged angel. We'll get to that later. Oh, my God. Preemptive, one of them. I'll do a few more. In a show with 
world title matches, dream matches, like Danielson Okada on there. The fact that I reckon the second thing I'll remember from this show <laughs> is Kanosuke Takeshita and Tomohiro Ishii speaks volumes for how memorable this 10-man tag was. Uh, yeah. The elites, Eddie Kingston and Tomohiro Ishii versus the BCC, uh, Kanosuke Takeshita in his uh, leather jacket. Oh, my God. And the shooter! John Moxley's New Japan music for the BCC, Jesus Christ. I exploded on the street. Oh, my God, I went mental for this God. in the living room. I absolutely loved it. I thought this match was fantastic. Like Can't believe Ishii won, considering he was killed in front of our very eyes. <laughs> I know. That forearm shot from Takeshi to Ishii. Well, Ishii's just one of the best sellers in professional wrestling I, on history. On the stream, I was like, so are they going to like take out Shooter to like balance the teams up? Because he's out. He's out. No, he's the best. Unbelievable. <laughs> he's, the absolute, he's the absolute best. Uh, this match was unbelievable. I loved so much about it. I like how Takeshita... I like when someone gets booked to do a role, and then they just start to friggin' do it. And they start to live up to the booking and the expectation and the investment that's been put behind them. Takeshita in this match just looked like a killer. Why doesn't he be a heel from the beginning? That's what I, was <laughs> I, I can't amazing. believe how good yeah. he is as a heel. Yeah. Like, he's the guy who's so likable. He likes his Cinnabon, and he's yeah. just such a great baby face. And he looks like he's going to kill people. <laughs> and he looks like no one can stop him from killing people. He looks like an invincible ass-kicking machine who's... I thought you'd get bored of hybrid workers. Oh, he can fly, he can grapple, he can brawl, he's powerful, he can do strong style. This guy looks like he was built to do everything. He's like the tri- decathlete. Mm. Decathlete, yeah. The decathlete. Did you see the Don Callis quote? No. When he was on from the Jericho podcast. So he does it in character. <laughs> it's absolutely fantastic. He's talking about how, like, the reasons... He's doing it in character on Tortoise Jericho, and he's talking about, like, the, the explanation, like, the... Each and every you, but the good version. Yeah. Like, explain your actions. And he's like, Takeshita, you know, better athlete than Kenny Omega. He's a decathlete. You know, other athletes can be good at one thing. Takeshita's great at 10 things. <laughs> he's the kind of guy who, when he walks into a room, his dick was there two minutes before. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So he's the, he's the invincible ass kicking machine, except he's still so good that he can get his ass kicked. And he never loses his aura. And on the subject of him getting his ass kicked, he does the Takeshita line. And Hangman Page is a disc at Lariat right in his mush. Oh, my God. Oh, my, oh, my, oh my God. How was no face broken in that exchange? How was no hand broken in that yeah. exchange? How was no face bruised? How did he not see any welts? Like, the physical timing of that spot was one of the best things I've ever seen in my life. Like, I'm not kidding. I watched it, like, a million times. It's like, <laughs> how did nothing get broken there? That was great. I know Hamlet didn't like the Kingston mocks having the chop battle, having seen what he thought was a better version of it. I loved it because the fact that this is the Young Bucks as well. The Young Bucks were doing this incredible aerial warfare sequence in and around Mox and Kingston doing this. And I just loved how the fact that not only did he get to see some great spectacular action, but the fact that it happened in and around this strike exchange just put over the intimacy of their bond and their feud and how it just consumes everything about them. I thought that was such a great touch, such an absolutely wonderful, really new, intelligent twist to how to lay out a match. Well, I borrowed from, um, I'm going to sound like I'm taking the piss here, and I'm genuinely not. It borrowed from that really nice Seamus and Gunther one last year, Imperium and the Brawling Brutes going banana, and them two just stood still. That borrowed from... <laughs> 
the Moxley-Tanahashi standoff to build their Forbidden Door angle, okay. which was built on... The name of it escapes me, but there was another angle where this happened. Yeah, where there's just a swirl like So yeah. I'm not saying it was done for the first like time ever. And Hill Mob animations of things going <laughs> yeah, on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. So, yeah, Gunther and Sheamus ripped it off from Tanahashi and Marks. Yeah. There was another famous... Hogan Warrior, I think. There was another famous <laughs> an, there was another famous antecedent, but I can't remember yeah. what it was. Uh, Owen Cena, Royal Rumble. That was it. Shut up, man. We, just glad we found... You absolute ginger <laughs> cock. <laughs> but you've not <laughs> seen that... Spot yeah. done with the young bucks doing these great aerials. Did you go with orange bollocks? <laughs> okay. I mean, you'd know. <laughs> Hold on. <laughs> Hello, orange bollocks. <laughs> so I love that element of it because even if it has been done and it has, the young bucks still did more spectacular stuff on the outside. And it still just, I believed it that they would only be focused on themselves. There were so many. Like you, what I knew about this match was I'd said on the preview: if there's any match that has to get time on that undercard. Give it to these. There's so much great action. The, the books are in it. Claudio's in it. Pages in it. Takeshita's in it. Ishii's in it. Mox is in it. There's like loads of layered, different threads of storytelling. The idea that Claudio uh, Castagnoli wanted to start with Kingston. Oh, rather, that's the other way around. And Claudio's went, nope. Yeah. And the second that Kingston started getting his ass kicked, tagging, start beating him up. Like, you knob. Yeah. I thought Claudio was a knob. I was viscerally hating <laughs> him. So that a was a sly kick when he's in the middle of it with Mox. Yeah. Oh, he's just so good. And then you get all the different interactions. And what I loved about this is that they did all of this through the vehicle of just state-of-the-art, exhilarating, save-heavy, blistering pro wrestling, overflowing with ideas, and yet not a single one of them got lost. And they didn't contrive it in such a way where it was like, right, pause for this moment or for that moment. Didn't they do one sequence, actually, where they were all just stood watching, but it made sense? Or have I just completely... Maybe. I can't remember. But I just remember this being just an exhilarating, incredible 10-man tag. Sorry, Survivor Series. It was better than anything I've seen on those shows. I didn't like this as much as Sidge, but we were talking in the office about where the call um, Tom Lawler time went. And I would have given more of that to this. Uh, however, I suppose if they went longer than 20 minutes... They would have all, like they were already threatening to outperform the dream matches, mm. and maybe with another five minutes, maybe another ten minutes, they would have done that and done it. So, and for plenty of people, they have done, but done it so comprehensively that it killed the atmosphere for those two matches. I don't know. Um, I like this. You're not killing a Kenny Omega match. It's a bit. <laughs> uh, we lost it. It's a bit. Uh, it was like up, it was more dynamite main event than pay per view spectacular for me. That's not totally a bad thing. I, I really love Dynamite multi-man main events, but like it didn't hit those heights for me personally. I thought the I loved the ambition and some of the execution of the Kingston Moxie thing, uh, but some of it I didn't think worked so well. AW do not deserve how over Eddie Kingston still is as a babyface, considering how many times the ball was dropped with him. But he's right there again, and he's a gift in that respect. Mm -hmm. Every time that we did the he should win the title and lose it to Jeff in two days, like all all those millions of scenarios. They just felt like they were drifting further and further and further away as recently as when he said, I'm leaving AEW for Ring of Honor. It's like, I cannot believe this has happened. And he comes back in one big match straight away. He's effectively the top babyface mm. again. That's incredible. Like, Kingston is undeniable and deserves that title in a company that still holds, like, holds up the importance of a certain meritocracy. He's got to win that world title. I just like it when he does stuff that is completely within his character. Well, because that is Eddie Kingston. There's no facade there. When he does stuff that's completely within his character that you think, you didn't know the cameras were on you there. <laughs> like, when he was just p 
pissed off with the elite, especially obviously the young bucks for the super kick yeah. when he saves Moxley. Uh, but he's like, eh. and he turns, well, basically he turned post-match to Tomohiro Ishii and said, Hey, 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 you all right. And uh, nothing against Judah, but the moment that they did the Takeshita spot with Ishii, I'd have said there's more chance of Shooter getting the winning pinfall in this match than Ishii. That's, yeah. how, that's how good the sell was. And the fact it was you were obviously you took the pin, which continues the story brilliantly within the BCC as well, and, and him and Danielson. I'm glad. Yes, but he got the big pin. That's a one flaw this match. He got the big pin in the double or nothing main event at Kenny Omega's expense, no less. From how they were positioned on this yeah, card, yeah. I thought that was maybe... I'll let it play out, but that was a bit... I noted that. I'm uh, I'm glad. I think Mo- I think Moxley Kingston is the avenue out of this, and obviously the elite are going to have their own things going on heading into all in. There'll be something massive for them all in. I'm sort of glad that Blood and Guts is. I know it's not officially on the docket yet, but we've all but been yeah. told you know, that Boston Dynamite. I'm kind of tiring of this a bit. Like there's been high peaks in this BCC elite thing, but I am tiring of the pairing. So like get to Blood and Guts before I think it's out of juice. So we've had this breathless 20-minute 10-man match. We've still got two dream matches in the party match. What do we put on next? The women. Uh, Tony Storm versus Willow Nightingale for the AW Women's World Championship. For the slot that they were putting, I thought they did a great job. That's the thing for me. I thought it was only good, but it got a bloody reaction. And this might be a first, with the exception of Double or Nothing 2022 which is the rule-proving exception because Matt Hardy was in that match. <laughs> the Young Bucks on pay-per-view never miss. It's their hit rate is absurd. Like, they've got the most consistent hit rate on pay-per-view in that company. I think the punker has a claim to it because he's never missed no. on pay-per-view. Uh, the Buckshot, Larry, <laughs> he missed. Literally missed that, didn't he? he? Missed that. But in terms of, like, really great match quality, um, he's the one. I think, other than the books. Like, they've all had, like, loads of these wrestlers have had great pay-per-view records, but the Yeah, another thing they've got in common. Yeah. <laughs> <I> know. <laughs> the up there, up there, up there, ultimate stratosphere, like, even above Omega, it's the books for me. I can't recall a single match that's followed the books and thought, bloody hell, that was good. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I've thought, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. You've just had your match die because you've had to follow them. This didn't die. No. Willow Nightingale is the best. She'd absolutely refuse to treat this like a cool-down match, which Tony Khan did, <laughs> because she's just so into her character, and she's so talented, and she's so good at getting reactions from the crowd. And I, I've said this before, I will say it again. I hate the idea of, oh, Willow's just naturally likable, and she gets the crowd going. No, she's, she manipulates them. She gets them up and up and up through her work, not just her innate personality and qualities, her work, and it's not just as simple as pulling the strap down. It's uh, her intensity. Yes. It's the way she convinces the fans that she's got a chance, even though the outcasts are at ringside, and everyone should have been conditioned to expect otherwise. There was a shortcut, a pretty dangerously executed one at that, with the apron Death Valley driver, which is very much... There's a tick box of how to get the fans back or how to get the fans to pop. It didn't really feel like a tick box for me. This just felt like an intense, urgent fight, a scrap, and it felt like daylight robbery. It's the same finish for every Outcast match, but because Willow's so good, it actually felt like something that had meaning, something that actually annoyed me in the right way. And you can factor that in. We talked about this on the preview on uh, Wrestle Culture into her run, hopefully in the Owen Hart Cup. Yeah, because you've got Soho potentially for her down the road. So 
Yeah, uh, really enjoyed this. What did you make of it, Hamlet? Same, really. I like. I was very impressed with um, Willow Nightingale's ability to do this. She is now beaten. She's in that side of the women's division that wins more than she loses, and yet she was going at this kind of destined to get beat. Realistically, um, so things like how the pounce was integrated into the match, where it's dumb luck and a little bit of ring awareness that Tony Storm has survived that effectively yeah. by rolling to the floor. Um, I think it's like little moments like that are quite big ones for Willow Nightingale where she is currently because when you're the plucky loser on the side of the whiteboard in AEW, you kind of just hit those and it's a two count and that's changed now for Willow Nightingale. Yeah. She's like winning these matches. She's got this belt. She's credible. To Sidgwick's point, like we do need to stop talking about certain wrestlers having this organic connection with the crowd. It's a work. Mm-hmm. You need to credit the performers yeah. sometimes when things go as well as they do. What was the last one? Say? Sammy, Sammy Zayn's organic rise. Or no, incredible just character work and performance for months and months and months. Yeah. <laughs> like it's it, that's their jobs, you know. And I just think like Willow Nightingale's been like the booking is treating her with respect, which is really great to see. And like Tony Storm's the MVP, the goal, yeah. the lot. Like there is nothing she cannot do. She's super physical. All of the outcasters and acts, they have completely won me around. They make sense to me. Tony Storm has effortlessly pivoted to being like this toxic, nasty heel while still being an ass kicker when yeah. she needs to be. She's the perfect steward of that title. Like her and Jamie Hater all in if Hater's good to go is gonna be like hopefully one of the standout matches of the night given a better position because of Hater being in the UK. I like I couldn't love this more, truthfully. They couldn't have done more with the time mm. they were allotted in the space. Uh, and then they were followed by Kenny Omega versus Will Ospreay 2, uh, of course for the United St- IWGP United States Heavyweight Championship. Uh, do you want anything from the shop? I'm just going to pop out. I feel like Sid has <laughs> got quite a lot he wants to say about this. Not just not just the Tiger Driver, which deserves its own yeah. section. How should we do this, then? <laughs> uh, bad news, good news, because you didn't like it that much. Yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah, because yeah. everything I'm going to say, I know Sid will have a I don't want to have. I don't want to step on your toes. I'll shut up. But you'll have a Unless better... Unless you say something egregious. Long-standing, <laughs> like... You'll have a better counter-argument for things possibly I didn't like about this. Because I did enjoy... Like, we were watching it on the live stream... And I think if you don't come out your chair for those near falls at the end, the kickouts, like there is that little bit of like, what are you watching? This is a show. Like, what are you watching pro wrestling for if not for the show and the feeling that you've got from somebody kicking out? I personally, I'm going to work this backwards a little bit. I tell you why I didn't like the Tiger Drive 91 for a near fall is because Don Callis was out there. If it was Will Ospreay's kill shot that Kenny didn't see coming because you've had this incredible Stormbreaker kick out and you've had this unbelievable one count, how dare you use that on me kick out. And he's like, well, you know what you didn't count on? This. And he beats him. Like, I love that as a finish. Um, but by this point, Don Callis is out there and I'm really pissed off that Don Callis is out there. I'm pissed off with the pantomime of it all and the referee's failure to do anything about it, thus making the initial, you're out here, completely redundant. Like, I consider that, we were talking about this during the stream, I think, mm-hmm. like, Dave might go five, right? He loves Osprey, he loves Omega. Six. Exactly right, yeah, he'll fight, I've probably go five plus. I've listened to Observer Radio, and I know the takes, he's going six. I think Callis's stuff at the end puts it below five. Like, I think if in the, if Dave Meltzer is marking, true to all of the things he said over the years, that knocks a quarter off. It cannot be perfect because of this. That's how egregious I thought that Callis stuff was. I just don't understand why they didn't, sorry, not eject him the first time. Yeah. Yeah. There was like, there was... Get rid of the security. Because he'd played no part in the finish because they, I thought they had their cake and ate it well in terms of, right, okay, you've done the 
turn. You've had Osprey and Callis. He has aligned. to be there to fool you over the screwdriver finish. Yes. That's why but he's got to still be there. He could have got kicked out for that, and then you have the three extra minutes, yeah. which are the best three minutes all year for me. But we'll get to it. But, but I was pissy in those three minutes because Callis is out there. Like, How am I? Like, this is, and that felt like really thoughtless for an Omega match specifically and for these types of wrestlers. Um, so I, I was kind of like wound up by it and I felt like, ah, this is taking a lot from me. I also thought, like, honestly, the first seven or eight minutes weren't that great. Like, they were all right, but I didn't expect it to be quite as, like, this is the second match. I didn't expect it to be as flabby feeling as it was. They've been in a battle once and it was this epic battle. And it for me, it took a little while to get going. I didn't feel Osprey's sense of uh, violence and threat I didn't sense that Kenny Omega was not taking him seriously. And if I couldn't, I just couldn't feel like a story was being told. And then there was a point where it was, it was like, right, here we go. Now, now, now it's starting. And I just felt like that was more just stuff happening just for the sake of it, rather than it didn't feel like it was going anywhere. The match only got going about seven or eight minutes in and nothing from those opening few minutes felt like it really belonged once they were off to the races. Uh, I have an issue with Will Ospreay. So I don't, like him and Omega have had these two incredible matches and neither of them will be in my top 10 because I am at a distance with Will Ospreay. I don't want him to work all in particularly. I don't need a third go of this. But I accept that I'm on an island. That's a personal taste thing. Uh, so like that took it away from me a little bit. But where I was sort of drawn in, when I was brought in through the violence and through the blood and like AW having discipline elsewhere on the card with blood to make, yeah. like not just Kenny's, but to make Ospreys especially count was obviously so vital to its success. If Moxley's bled all over in a 10 man, you're not getting the feeling you're getting. Yeah. Like, and then when you've not seen blood all night and it's literally raining down, not no Omega's oh, chest no. out of Osprey's head. <laughs> like, and yeah. they know they're crafting that visual because they're squeezing the head, they're squeezing the vessels to get that, to get Give that effect, you know? So that's, that, that again is a work. You need a better look at the blade job is going to go well, but the rest of it, it's a work and they're performing yeah. for you. Loads of stuff to like that Sidgwick's going to articulate better than me, but I found enough flaws that this wasn't the best thing on the show for me, nor the best thing of the year, nor Ooh. the best match between the two. Uh, Kenny Omega has to have more of these matches in AEW because when all those things start on Wrestle Rest Kingdom when it was like there he is there's the difference What what is it that's weird about him being in Japan versus when he wrestles in AEW I still don't have the answer to that but I saw it here and this mm. was, this I know Forbidden Door but this was in AEW yeah. so something do this because I felt it in the Vikingo match as well so he's, he's he's found out how to do it so let's have like loads more of this Stay out the trios. Stay out the multi-mans. Like, more Kenny like this, because this was great to see on an AW show. I did like the law uh, I sort of figured out subsequent involving the Don Callis thing, because obviously earlier on in the night, the other IWGP match, you had Red Shoes as a referee, which was lovely to see. Mm-hmm. But then they were like, no, we need a referee's an idiot. Let's get an AW referee. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't think it's Paul Turner. Red Shoes is an idiot as well. Yeah. Like, they're, they're all, like <laughs> New Japan, low-key, takes a piss more than any other promotion. Yeah. Is Genuinely. It? Yeah. Oh, I don't know... It, in the pa- in yeah. the very recent past, it did. As a way to ask you a question, then I'll shut up about this match so yeah, you can yeah. braise it. Like, are you like the security is a red herring, good thing on or bad thing? Because oh, the other thing I remembered because you made the point and it planted a seed in my head. The Canadian flag stuff was better when we couldn't hear what was going on because the fans and I think you alluded to this were nowhere near as invested as Will Os- in Will Ospreay versus Canada. Yeah, and Kenny Omega isn't Bret Hart, and that's not a dig. He's not there yeah. as a Canadian rep. He's like, he's from They went Canada. mad for that sequence, though. But they didn't go mad for him getting out the sharpshooter. 
Like yeah. that was like, it's the Canadian hero kicks out of the sharpshooter because it's such a transgression that he's doing this on him. There was no sense of like, yeah, you're doing it for Canada. And I think that was, I had not really thought about that until we discussed it in the preview. Ultimately, I think that was a bit of a misread. It was a bit of a misread, the Canadian stuff, but then watched him get hung on the ropes, I just thought. It was one of the uh, first times I can press this button. Oh my God. Yeah, the security guards. Shut up. Was it, did you see that as like a successful red heron or not for them doing nout? They explained it on commentary. It was security for Callis. Yeah. Not for Osprey because he's this big Canadian thing. I thought that was a really delicate yeah. way of them saying it's Canada stuff. We're going to do one sequence in it, but it's not the crux of the match. Mm. Like Kevin Kelly revealed the plot twist of, oh, it's not security for dastardly Canadian scourge, Will Osprey. It's for <laughs> Callis because he's yeah. going to do something. Can I just say about the security guards? They look terrifying. <laughs> they look like the mutated version of the really scary people in pubs with the worst opinions imaginable. They <laughs> looked horrible. Grant and Phil Mitchell. <laughs> I put like mutants. Yeah. They looked like horrible. Yeah, they were big horrible boys. Horrible mutants with the scariest energy and the worst opinions. Yeah, you don't want them to say, I've got a joke to tell you. Yeah. Yeah. Honestly, I thought visually they looked absolutely incredible. I was terrified by them. I hope one unmasks to be Goldberg in the end. Yes. And the other one's Strange. That was the other one. Yes. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I thought this match was at a minimum match of the year for me. Really? You uh, preferred this to the first God, one? I thought it was unbelievable. Like, unbelievable. I don't want to send all my takes in a response to what you said. Mm. I don't want you to interject. And that's what I talk about on its own terms. The first 10 minutes I thought were crucial for me. First of all, the actual work. Like, the the bit where they were doing the head scissor, like, kick out. It's a modern match staple. When Osprey tr- did the kick and Omega ducked, like, what if he missed? What if he connected? Like, he would have had a concussion. Mm-hmm. Like, in terms of intent, it's just, like, everywhere in this match, the level of detail was incredible. I thought the first eight or ten minutes were, like, uh, crucial in that sort of a carder sense of not a huge amount is happening, but there's almost a purpose to that, and they're telling you they're going long, and whoever wins this match is going to feel like a, a warrior for just enduring this 40-minute yeah. war. Like, the level of work before we get to, like, the really big showcase moments was phenomenal. Even the bit where they subverted the stuff from Wrestle Kingdom with the wooden bit. It's just as well as selling and the work was so good here because the Japanese table has this mythology unto itself. The little bit from the <laughs> AEW announce table doesn't, no, but no. they worked it well enough so that the sound effect and the selling, like they made this work like force of will stuff almost. If you look at that sequence where he's got him over the desk, like the level of struggle here was just like, this is why these two, sorry, but not the guys in the main event, are in fact the best in the world. Like, he's gripping onto it because he doesn't want to get um, hit with it. Osprey has to bite his hands. The second that his hands get loose, he starts headbutting them. And he's, every part of his body is free, and then he drills it in. Just every literal, like, millisecond of thought went into the struggle to get that spot over. Like, I loved as well, like, the, the blood loss was incredible. Like, oh. you, you, you can only catch it luckily. The big... Awful secret, doesn't really matter, for the first Wrestle Kingdom match is that the blade job wasn't that great, but they sold it as if it was. And the other problem, and this is kind of a problem for the for the tone of the match, like I thought this was a masterpiece, but flawed, and not just for the callous thing, is that when they work so tirelessly and hard, 
after they do the blood loss. Like, they kind of lose the thread because they're perspiring so much that it washes away almost, which you, you could put over the match, but you do lose the visual. You do lose a little bit of it in there. The bit where following the... The bit where Osprey blades and bleeds, the visual of Kenny Omega's chest, like I can't remember seeing oh. something like that. Like I was so into it, and they knew that the fans were going to be so into it at this moment. When Kenny's got him in the triangle, and he's just doing those open arm strikes with the butt of his, like the palm of his hand, like right in his temple and the back of his head. Like that was great. Like backwards headbutts to get away from like suplexes, like the tiny, like granular detail in this match in terms of how it was worked, I just thought it was absolutely sensational. I, I want to watch this like five times. It was an excessive maximalist match. I get that. And I get why people won't like it that much as a result. But within that, there was just so much detail that just absorbed me mm. and got me into it. And like that bit with the mat, like with the covered in blood, the mat's already dried with blood. Omega's torso, and he's just drilling him in his head. I thought that's, that's pro wrestling for me. I was so fired up. Like the selling throughout the facial expressions, like the bit where the kick I talked about, when he just ducks at the last second, and he looks like he's trying to hit like a penalty in the top corner, like Alan Shearer, right? <laughs> Kenny Omega's face was like, oh, this is not going to be as easy as it was on January 4th. Like, I'm actually a little bit worried here. I just thought that was tremendous. Right, let's get to the fireworks bit because I thought it was tremendous. So let's say that happens like 30 minutes in. Um, because it's a 30 minutes time remaining. I think that's the cue for, right, let's get callous and let's do all the bits at the end. So the Wrestle Kingdom match went 36 minutes and then it went 30 minutes. For an hour and six minutes, they have told you, basically if Osprey hits the Stormbreaker, that's it. That's how he wins the match. And it's pretty much the same as if Kenny hits a one-winged angel. Yeah. The difference is that he just never was able to hit it, which itself is an echo back to the very first Okada Omega match at Wrestle Kingdom. He just couldn't hit the one-winged angel. And I love how they're telling that story in succession because Kenny Omega thinks in years. Like, he's telling us this is a six-year story, at least at this point. So for one hour and five minutes, they've told you in the body of these matches, if he hits a Stormbreaker, like, that's it. That's his finish, and it actually means it's a finish. For them to do... Not a kick out because you protect it because he can't have the power to kick out. It's just almost a stroke of luck with a leg. Oh my God. Yes, it was very excessive. Yes, it wasn't, you know, a grapple match or a CM Punk match. The idea that it lacked restraint for me is idiotic, shallow as it gets. For an hour and five minutes, they've told that incredible story beat. And they've done that because they're thinking about the second and the third matches when they're crafting the first for the reaction they got. The actual physical timing, and it shouldn't surprise me that Omega's this good, the actual physical timing of what tiny part of his toe <laughs> hit the rope and when at the right time for the crowd to, like, catch it as if to say, oh, he's not lost. Like, that's, like, that's one of the best near falls I've ever seen in my entire life. The three best false finishes I've ever seen in my life all happened in the same match. <laughs> like, it has to be a masterpiece. The one-winged angel kick out at one. Yeah. Like, you just thought, right, okay, well, that's it. That's it. And it's like, what a heel move, and he's playing heel, and like the ultimate transgression, the ultimate thing to do to have the character Kenny Omega say, and oh, nah, I need a third. Like, I need a third. This is not over. I need to know for sure who the better one is. And it doesn't matter because he kicks out at one. Oh my, oh my. I just thought that was oh just uh, the, the reaction that got was yeah. one of the most special moments in my personal fandom 
And in terms of the 12,800 who were there, I don't want to speak on their behalf, but look at their reaction. Mm. I loved so much the Tiger Driver spot, right? And the kickout as well. Just on the kickouts as well, Excalibur's call, was that a kickout or a convulsion? I think that was earlier in the match. I love those curling Kenny Omega kickouts because he makes it feel so much more real in that moment than yeah. anybody else, even wrestlers. And I will shut up eventually. We've got another podcast to record after this. <laughs> even wrestlers who were a quote-unquote more realistic style, a more grapple map-based style, that doesn't have like loads of impact strikes to the head, that if it were a quote-unquote real sport, if he was doing that many V-triggers, it would just end it. Mm. But it's a heightened wrestling reality in which Omega Osp- in which Omega and Osprey operate, but it still feels more real. What was the point I was trying to make? I've completely lost the thread. Tiger Driver 91. Tiger Driver 91. Or the curls. Yeah. When he like, it shouldn't always be, even for a quasi thing like wrestling, which no one can ever place how realistic it is or should be, and it's the most subjectively debated thing. Even that said, like, it shouldn't always be a dramatic, using your last burst of energy, upright shoulder. Sometimes it'll be, oh, God, I don't even want to kick out. I, I, it hurts to even do this. I love that kick out. It's so great. The Tiger Drive 91, I'll get into the discourse very quickly. I don't want to spend too much time on it. I thought it was fantastic. One, how's he kicked out of that? <laughs> they are telling the story, and only these two men can tell it, given their body of work, the style they do, the match lengths, the match lengths, like the kind of characters they are. Only them two can tell this story. So it's, for me, within context of the characters, the best bout machine, you know, whatever, they can kick out of that move and very few others can because that's the story that they're telling. And again, it was the, it was the convulsion. It was, the, oh, God, the very last thing I've got. And what I love about it is that he kills him with the Stormbreaker. So it's kind of, for me, a shortcut to... Basically, when they have this third match, I want to see it, Hamlet does it. When they have this third match, which I really desperately want Omega to win because he's just my guy, and I don't even like Will Ospreay either, and I feel guilty for praising him this much. He's <laughs> just so good. All in or Wrestle Kingdom? All in, because I want to see it live. <laughs> like, whenever he goes up for the Stormbreaker, I'm going to be terrified because that's just the end. They've built that to me yeah. in this match because he couldn't do it with the Storm... I think he's calling him the Storm Driver 93. He's just taking it for himself. Oh, he's he's good, got the T-shirt. That was a year I was born, in it. What would... Born in 93, so that's <laughs> why I've called it that. Had it been Rolls Reverse and Kenny Omega hit Will Ospreay with a Tiger Driver, what do you think Will Ospreay would have said? Oh, my f- <laughs> neck, mate, bruv. <laughs> <laughs> the fact that he's killed him off with a Stormbreaker after the most transgressive video nasty, you can't do that move ever, means that when he goes for it at... Wrestle Kingdom, myself and Kenny Omega's fans are going to brick it, thinking that Osprey is guaranteed to get a win. And then he'll probably, he might kick out. <laughs> There's never been a kick out of the Stormbreaker. There's the, they've yeah, only yeah. ever done the Omega thing. It's the one-winged angel in the barbed wire match, isn't it? That's yeah. not been kicked off, but the idea was that the limb hit the explosive, was it? Or the explosive yeah. to get in uh, Kenny's face yeah. as well. So that no one's had the strength to physically kick out of it with the shoulder. So they've created a sh- cheat code now. This is what I talked about with restraint and excess when it comes to this match. Yes, but be more balanced about it. What they've done is, yes, it was an excessive move to do that, but it's for a reason. It's not just to do, you know, the third or fourth 
Champa Gargano match. I think it's such a shallow take to even compare it to. I love the spot. I wish it was used slightly differently, or I wish the context of the match was slightly different. But I adored the use of the spot. That's what you do. Now, like the Stormbreaker is now cheat code to One Winged Angel Mm. on the night. On the discourse, right? Fundamentally, wrestlers can do what they want with their bodies. They know their bodies more than us. If I could dare to talk about what they do with their bodies, I'm going to do that for two minutes. One, Kenny Omega's got a completely different schedule to pretty much any mainstream top name ever. The guy barely works. Maybe he's doing the maths in his own head. Maybe the maths don't add up of, I can do this. He's done it once. He has done it once in his career. How many times do we have to talk about how it's cumulative damage and how no matter which style you work, the so quote-unquote safe style, it will get you in the end. It's got Randy Orton. His back is mangled because he's bumped on his back to do the RKO that many times on how many house shows. It's cumulative damage. And if there was ever a night, and I'm only debating this on here because I think it's in good faith. I do think there's a nuanced debate to be had. I have seen people who know better thinking, I think that was a bad idea. He's done it once in a business in which repetitive trauma is what really does does you in in the end. He's done it once. If he's doing it like five times a year, I'll think, stop it. He's done it once in the context of this match in this series against this opponent. who Basically, he's saying this is the new Kenny Omega. That's one of the last things he's ever going to do. So he's done it once, and he knows his body, mm-hmm. and he's done it once. He's literally done it once. Second point I want to make is that I didn't want to say this on Twitter because people would just accuse me of going, ah, it's an AW versus WWE thing. Look at the NXT class of 2019. They did takeovers, they did weekly network things, and they did a logo loop. A more, way more intensive schedule yeah. than what Omega's doing. Look at the class of like 2018, 2019 in NXT. Malachi Black, right? He can only work trios matches because he can't do a singles run because his back's that mangled. Adam Cole, he was beaten up as well as having the fever after the 30-minute match, and he's been beaten up throughout his entire AEW run, and he's had a bad concussion. Kyle O'Reilly, that style caught up to him. He had neck fusion surgery. Tommaso Ciampa has had a laundry list of injuries, and his main roster run has been fitful. Johnny Gargano, it seems, every time they want to book him or have him wrestle, oh, he's got this knock or whatever. Like, Triple H has ran some of these wrestlers into the ground like into the ground. And I think that if you look at the performance center and the way that operates, how many ACLs get broke? How many times have we talked on the NXT review of, Jesus Christ, how did no one break their neck on that spot? We saw it with Scripps, with Reggie. We saw it with, who was Roxanne Perez working? Um, Last, the other week when she did the... Oh, Christ. Between oh. the two of them, the botched the Pop Rocks, and yeah. one of them nearly landed yeah. on the next. Oh, yeah. Like... There are, if you genuinely care about the professional wrestler's safety, talk about the performance center. And I don't want that to be what about us. I don't want that to be, come across as tribalist. And look at what they do. If you genuinely care, right, about the safety of a wrestler, and you, you are telling me you are, with this Kenny Omega stuff, no one talks about this performance center or this NXT system. Like, they just don't, and they absolutely should. Sorry, let's move on. <laughs> Um, I was trying to find out who the, the Roxanne Perez match was. Um, let's briefly, because I was reading ups and downs, still worth uh, well well worth checking out the ups and downs article. Is it because this is a transcript? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I say this every time. 
Yeah, I think since talking about Osprey Omega may have been shorter than reading your article, the page about Osprey I Omega. Think about seven hundred pages. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so good so I, love, I love a quick look to see what he's written, and it was like I was like, keep going, keep going. Oh my god! Can you Omega now that Hangman Page has won the title off him and come back in the Elite? He did a Hangman Page move in this match for the first time ever when he didn't do it against Pack and the Iron Man. He instead used Ibushi's move. He's now respecting. Can you, uh, Hangman Page enough to do his moves? This is literally a first thing through the Deadeye before the yeah. Callus thing. Oh, of course, yeah. Oh, my God. this. That was nice. Uh, I, can't wait to, I can't wait till Punk's folded in with that, by the way. There's yeah. Like, it's like one of them's going to do like a really sloppy elbow or somebody's going to be permitted like a one count off of like a dodgy go to sleep or something. Yeah. Once that gets full, Jesus Christ. If, like, uh, if, if it gets <laughs> good, I need it to at this point. Was it JC Jane? I don't care. The Roxanne it was, Perez it was, thing. It was, it was <laughs> that's just annoyed me now. And now I was trying to work I out. I can't remember actually, but there was a I know, she nearly flipped all the way through and yeah. Yeah, it was grim. Yeah, but in terms of uh, the ups and downs article, the only down you gave this show was what came next. The, the, the Sting party matches, it's traditionally known. Sting, Darby Allen, Tetsuya Naito versus the Suzuki Gods. And, well, the highlight for me for this uh, match was the pose. <laughs> yeah. The point I made is that there was a sequence. This is, it had already completely fallen off the rails at this point, so I kind of... Uh, the positioning was all wrong. I think people might in the match were probably worried about Sting's well-being or, mm. or something. There was a point where they were going to do the line salt. Like, I don't think Knight was in the best position, and Jericho was like you, like, you could see him in real time measure the distance and think, Jesus Christ, I'm not sure about this. Anyway, he line salted directly into Naito's knees because that was the spot that he was going to counter it, and it looked contrived. I would have latitude with a spot like that in a Sting party match, but the idea is, because it's more than the sum of its parts, you have latitude. If a, if a spot gets blown in a Sting party match, who cares? Like the nipple twist. Remember last year? Yeah. That mm. four and a half star match. Sting and um, Shingo and Derby against Phantasmo in the books. It was this incredible match, party and work rate, and Sting messed up a spot because he, he didn't get in. He just wandered around the outside randomly. Yeah. But you don't care. It's a Sting party match. Because this felt nothing like a party... Because I think that there was a flying headbutt unintentionally from Sammy. Do you think he can cost him there? Because Sting looked very wobbly after I don't, that. He's on dynamite this week. Is he? I'll cost it in the. So maybe you just. Yeah, I'd probably get assessed beforehand, as always. But that it just went badly off the rails. It was meant to get off the table for the six thirty. <laughs> he took it. I was too scared, and a match like this is always more than the sum of its parts. But it couldn't be. It, if it, it has to be a party match, if you're in a good mood. And I was not. I was scared watching this, so yeah. it was completely ruthlessly undermined. Um, I will say, if it had gone well and perfectly, another inspired idea to do the uh, the shot of adrenaline between the dream matches, yeah. but it did not feel like a shot of adrenaline. Like, nah, I thought it sucked. Like, it sucked. It was the, it was awful to watch. The Sting thing was obviously it was uh, ultimately like one begat the other begat the other because obviously the that awful. Headbutt from like midair, the cutter thing that went wrong that seemed to result. That was a stupid idea as Bad well. idea, yeah. Over ambitious. And then obviously, Sting shoot taking a 630 to a table. That's weird. But then obviously, because he has to get, we don't see. The, so had that gone as planned, Sammy goes through the table, 
because Chris Jericho told him to. Yeah. Fought, like, that's the story, yeah, right? Yeah. It's like, Sting's up and about, and he's fine. Sammy's out the match from that point, and that's Jericho's fault. And when they lose again, it's like, Sammy, mate, what are you doing? What did what, he do that for? I'm doing what you told me, Dad. And, like, that's, you know, this is where it all falls apart. But, so that's gone. That story beat is dead, because Sammy's done exactly what, like, Jericho's proven to be a mastermind. Yes. And Sting should be out of the match. <laughs> but no, Sting isn't out of the match. He's up before Sammy, but because he's, I think, not silly, maybe not concussed, but just knocked a bit silly, and being like, oh, my, my bloody stomach, because I've just been... He gets in the ring, doesn't break oh, any, anything up, and just shambles from one side to the other. I like, like I was on the stream. Was it Jericho who had him in line? Yeah. And I was yeah. like, uh, him oh, 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 Sting's back. Where's Sammy? He's not back. Well, is Sting going to do anything? No. He's just going to walk to his corner. <laughs> like, it's like this has gone horribly, horribly yeah. wrong. Naito, like. It's um, all right, you know? Yeah, like, for all that, like, he kind of ultimately didn't feature in the match because of. Where like this is what we're talking. We're not talking about Naito. We're talking about everything else. Like it was really fun at points to see him in there, and I almost felt sad that we maybe there wasn't a bit more spotlight. Like he didn't take his t-shirt off, and I wanted to believe there was a spot where he was going to. You know, like there was. He did not want to win a match. He didn't want to. Yeah, like and obviously we know what that reflects. And I just sort of thought like, oh, maybe there's going to be a point where he's going to have to be forced into it. Suzuki's going to see it as some like mark of disrespect on a a special event, and then we and we just never got there. It was just oh, this is. A bit bleak. <laughs> and then, like, as if, like, you know when some wrestlers feel like they're cursed? In the attempt to fix it, with build a bit of heat up for the tornado match, Jericho bludgeons a journalist. Like, so it's like, this, yeah. is, this is not their John night. Muse. Was, who was it? John Muse. Is that who it was? You know the long-term Observer Ideas guy that Dave thinks should have booked a territory? Right. <laughs> Jericho busted well, him over with a wall. Yeah, yeah. It's just like, this is not your night, lads. Uh, like, really not good. <laughs> Let's get to the main event. Yeah. Uh, Danielson versus Okada. Um, get well soon, Brian Danielson. D- did that affect your... Uh, I thought he was selling. Review Same. of the match, yeah. I just thought he was a genius selling. Um, but again, the point I was made, I think I lost it earlier. On the night of, can't do the Tiger Driver. That's what injures people. Well, this is what injures people in wrestling. It's the cliche. Yeah. This match was excellent. But it didn't meet the expectations. I think everyone had their own different way of articulating that. Because like, the ceiling for this match is the best thing you've ever seen in your life. And it started that way with the final countdown. I should mention yeah, that yeah, before yeah. we move on. And it wasn't the best thing I've ever seen. Therefore, on some incredibly cruel, incredibly pedantic measure, this was a disappointment. You know what I mean? Like it's, yeah. it, But it was in yeah, itself... It's, it, it, yeah, if you're going to boil it down to a review, you might say... Oh, is that it? Which is incredibly hard. Yeah, because in its on its own terms, if this just randomly happened, which would be a terrible idea. By <laughs> the way, oh, I, I want to match with you later, Adam Pearce. Okay, we got it for later on. If this like, if this had randomly yeah. happened, you, you think this is absolutely excellent out of this world? The expectations were simply too high, too high, and it's the expectations and not necessarily the works. I thought there were so many beautiful little details in this match, but it was the expectation that did it in. Because the, with the expectation, you think a car that can go 40, Danielson's the best ever at going 60. I've just saw it at Revolution. As soon as you saw 27 minutes of bell time remaining, that's when your mind drifts because you, the expectation is in your mind and it's set and it will not escape. And you start to concentrate on the expectation and not the experience in front of you. So when I saw 27 minutes, I'm already thinking, is that enough time to really build something? Mm. Is it? Like, with the, knowing what these two are capable of, can they get out of first gear? And I was preoccupied with the expectation, and I don't know if that's just a me thing, I don't know if that's a fair thing, but that is the reality of my experience watching this match. And tell you what, it wasn't just that, though. 
I, this is probably sacrilegious. There's a tiny bit of criticism I've got with the work itself. I was just going to say this. Like, they are both the best. In the, the dream match was fair. The expectations were fair. They are the best. They have these strange little dogs in them sometimes. Yeah. And it happened to them both on the same night. Yeah. I still think the match was excellent, but I'm thinking four and a quarter to four and a half excellent. I'd have, a, I'd have a star ratings, but I felt like it fell below four. Oh. And I liked it more in hindsight on the second watch, but when knowing that Danielson was injured. They should have swapped it around. I really, yeah, well, yeah. Like, I really had, but it was, should have been the main event too. Yeah. So, like, it should have been the main event. The final countdown made it the main event. Like, the, we talked Aye, about. I'm not splashing out on that and not putting it in the main event. We talked about it in the preview, uh, and we said it then. Like, Osprey Omega was destined to have more, like, excess and, like, big theatrical stuff. But this still should have been the main yeah. event. It was talked about on Wednesday, and it felt right. I I don't do I like have a star ratings framework or anything. It's always based on gut feeling. But like whatever four stars is, I think this fell short of that. And I only liked it more on second viewing because I could pick up a few more details. And yeah. I did admire Danielson's improvisations with a broken freaking arm. Yeah, like, I loved that submission. Oh, so and good. I didn't know his arm was broken as a shoot. I was thinking that's incredible. You've got a tap out of a guy that never gives up through your ingenuity because you've had to use your foot instead of your arm. No, it's because your arm's hanging out with socket. Like, genuinely an incredible physical feat. Not a good match. I thought it was excellent. Ricardo looked a bit like couldn't be arsed. I didn't get a good vibe from his body language. I'll tell you one thing that I thought when it happened, I was like, oh, I was really deflating. So I'd probably go four and a quarter for this. Like, I'm expecting a five plus or whatever. (laughs) What about Ricardo? Not just I don't want to distill him to one move, but it's more what the move represents and how he and how he can pace and build a match. I never see that drop kick coming ever, even though I, even though you should. Yeah. In the mind space of watching a great pulsating wrestling match in front of you, I just never see that drop kick coming. He telegraphed it. Mm. I was heartbroken. So I kind of guessed right. Okay, Danielson's got these certain things that he does, like the running, charging, drop kick, or the backflip, or whatever. So I can I knew beforehand when it was going to happen, but I shouldn't have knew that in the match when I was watching it. He telegraphed it. And I thought I just didn't have that same. Oh, yeah. He's done the drop kick just when he thought he was selling for a minute in this invincible Akada. There's someone's chipped away at him. Oh, he's just done the drop kick and he's ruined it because he's going to win. And that's the character. I thought he telegraphed it. The, the, everything leading up to and after the tombstone was great. Um, the idea of the suicide dive. Grabbing the arm, rainmaker, duck, drop kick, tombstone. That was oh my God. literally one of the few times I had that button press in mind because I just thought they threaded that together so brilliantly. The convulsion, maybe he overegged it the second time when he was just getting in the ring and he almost, I don't know how he does this, but he kind of made his like, what's the thigh muscle? The thigh muscle. <laughs> <laughs> it it kind of looked like it was vibrating. I missed that. Until I saw it in the second view and not the first. So the, the only convulsion spot I got was the second one. And I kind of thought it was a bit hokey. A little and a bit, bit hokey. I didn't like it as well. A little bit hokey. He's kind of, do, he's gone to the well of the, I mean, brain's not working. Best one was the first one. Yeah, the best one was the first one. Um, he did it against Garcia and I thought that really worked. Um, but I think maybe he needs to retire doing that one. Because it feels a bit hokey and carny and um, see-through at this point. I'll tell you one thing I loved about it. Other than that great sequence, they sp- this is the detail. Maybe it was too granular for a night like this. Um, they spent on commentary. And I don't know if you'd heard it on the stream because you don't really listen to it. 
on and on and on and on. They hammered this point home about the length of Okada's body. Oh, no, but I did see your tweet about this, yeah. The length of Okada's body, and it was like, all right, you can't really sub him. He's just so long and rangy, and he's so agile. Like, he can just get his foot on the rope. That moment when he was like, when Danielson was working through that finishing submission, when I saw his leg go up and then just flop, I was like, oh, my God, he's going to tap him. <laughs> he's going to tap him. And he tapped him. Mm. Didn't see that coming. No, was, th- this was excellent. They could work... 95 times out of 100 and demolish this. Yeah. Yeah, I thought this was a bit rubbish. On, like, honestly, I thought this was a bit, a little bit crap. And Not just good when it could have been great, actually crap. Yeah. Like, oh. I'd, uh, like the, on the, the, my live view and my take was, oh, I'm glad we're not getting, um, this, this can't go 40 because it doesn't necessarily need Okada luxuriating and taking the time. Brian's version of that, and Brian's is just a bit more energetic and a bit more North American paced and all that. I didn't even get that the second time. I just, re- I, I did admire the detail of it. I admired, um, like, clearly a story that had been well told to the commentators and to the things that the two of them wanted to work in. Felt more Brian than Okada. It did feel more the Brian showed than, the, than Brian versus Okada. Okada's got this, you know, uh-huh. I know Dave has said this, and it's Dave, <laughs> but apparently Omega, 97% of the Omega-Okada series was pretty much Omega, and really? Okada was like... All right, okay. I'll That's be there idea. for it, sort yeah. of thing. And like, I d- uh, the tap, I, like, it's a really bold finish. So it's like 2015 since he last submitted. That's awesome. Yeah. But like, it, not that it fed into it, and it, I guess it was supposed to make the finish feel like a surprise and let it play out and all that. But like, I hope Okada. I, I'm not saying like we're getting the balloons and the red long boys back, but he should have a disastrous G1, and this should be very much how Danielson felt after the Iron Man lost to MJF. If they're going to go again, it's not this match that's sold me on a rematch. It's going to have to be something else. And Okada should, like, this should be booking. Okada should, like, slump off the back of this. Like, the failure of having to submit to and no, be, like, now objectively no longer the best um, should feed into the rematch because I don't think this match sold me on it at all. I was, like, I would compare it to um, different context entirely. Brian AJ. Brian AJ. Because, gonna say that. because it's just like, oh, it's WWE, but it's, like, they can make magic nonetheless, and they did the opposite of that for me. And mm. I was just, I was really, really disappointed by it. And on a personal note, the because the final countdown doesn't hold like huge weighty nostalgia with me as it does with others. Like I think a lot of people went into this like fired the up, like as I was when Moxley's music hit, or like the first time yeah. Punk, when Punk came back at Collision, whatever. Whatever your things are, like there was people like running through brick walls as he entered. Like I was listening to you. Yeah, Stacks bit. Sorry, I was listening to Stacks. You popped into the yeah, Stacks uh, came stream. In ju- just well, I was in the loo. Will Bomb was in the toilet. You're not going to believe it. And Stacks, oh, Stacks up, came in. Stacks turned up, and it was the final countdown was on. And I was like, it's really good. Stacks, like final countdown's on. But I know for a fact that would have had people jazzed. Like that was worth the money. This was this huge, great moment on a special night, and I think the match fell short of that too. Like that, that kind of billing. What did Tony Khan say? It was like. It cost me more than it costs to pay a wrestler for a year or something like I a wrestler's it's contract. Fifty grand is the, oh, is, the is the number going around. Jeez, you know, like people it's get spunked a quarter of the gate. <laughs> <laughs> people in like WWE get That's worried. That's why I love them. Like yeah. people in WWE get worried about like Nick Khan's spreadsheet. Oh, don't delete my name. Like those wrestlers thinking, don't pay for the final countdown again. <laughs> like, yeah, I'm, not, I'm not getting renewed if you use the final countdown twice. Final countdown. I'm not doing. A joke. <laughs> I'm not doing a joke. Uh, what was your match of the night then? Uh you hate it. <laughs> I, well, I didn't think it was an amazing show. I thought it was an only an okay show. So, like, it's a very much a personal tasting, Punk and Kojima. Like, I had a total blast with it. I can acknowledge just how fantastic the Omega, like, Osprey stuff was when I don't like 50% of the match. 
and like it didn't hit as as high as I thought it could have done. But I know for a fact I had a hundred percent of a brilliant time watching Punk Kojima. I watched two matches yesterday. Osprey and Omega. Yeah. What was the other one? Punk Kojima. Yeah. Yeah. It was class. Osprey I, and Omega for you though, match of the night. Well, match of the year. So. That, yeah. I, what about you? Osprey and Omega. I, 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 I preferred the first one, if I'm honest, yeah. at Wrestle Kingdom. Um, the the Callus stuff bothered me, but I'm, I'm and I don't know enough uh, like that like you two do in terms of like. The why did they eject him? It's not as if they didn't. Yeah. Why were they worried about getting that pop? Yeah, like you're getting you're getting the biggest pops <laughs> of the year. We need a you're out of here reaction. We do like, not need that pop. Yeah. Also, maybe get slightly less deep pockets. Don Callis. It's really pissing about you. Get the I like the, I like the urgency though. Yeah. 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 Well, let us know your thoughts uh, on Forbidden Door on Twitter at WhatCultureWWE. Well, actually, you can follow all three of us. You can follow Michael Hamflet at... Michael Hamflet. Follow Michael Sidgwick at... M. Sidgwick. And if you need a written version of what we've just said, talked about for an hour and a half, it is available right now in uh, Sidgwick's Ups and Downs article at WhatCulture.com. You can follow me at Adam Wilborn. Follow us all at WhatCultureWWE. Uh, we'll be talking more about the fallout from Forbidden, of course, on our Dynamite preview later on this week. Uh, and we've got our NXT preview coming later on today as well. But for now, this has been the Forbidden Door Review. My thanks to the Dadly Boys. Thank you for joining us. And we will see you soon. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.